0: <clears throat> Today's train is brought to you by Bruce Banner. <laughs> Hit it up. Welcome back guys to another episode of Adamair MDGED Underground Cartoon Therapy. Today I got my special guest and it's an honor to have her, Miss Shelly Mayer. But before I I introduce her, I want to thank Phoenix for the episode yesterday. Some Pulitzer Prize winning shit there. You're a good friend. I made myself vulnerable so you didn't have to and I'm trying to do something therapeutical here, you know? (laughs) Anyway, we're gonna talk to Shelly. Her grandfather, Sheldon Mayer, I'm going to read this little thing to you real fast, see if I can bust it out in time. Okay, National Comics, that was DC back in the day, ran rampant over the other comics publishers in the early 1940s with their all-star lineup of superhero characters like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and many others. Realizing a good thing when they saw it, the folks at National decided to maximize their Mystery Man dollar in 1940. In the pages of All-Star Comics No. 3, with the debut of the Justice, uh, Justice Society excuse me, of America, editor Sheldon Mayer and writer Gardner Fox not only invented the concept of the superhero team, but also the very concept of the crossover and separately published characters. Uh, throughout literature and that goes for anything that you've ever seen, like Alien vs. Predator, v- Freddy vs. Jason, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, all that shit came from Sheldon Mayer and Mr. Uh, Foxair. so uh, you know, that all happened first in comic books, man. And, and Shelley's legacy to that, you know? She grew up with the visual arts, she's a comic book artist, she's amazing brain a good fucking friend. And it's a pleasure to have her, I'm glad we found her, 430 miles out on some weed farm. <laughs> Surrounded by probably people that I don't think is are very interesting probably to her. I'm going to spend my Trump dollars and go make some art with her, I think that's what we're going to do. Alright, without further ado, let's get Shelly on here. and. Let's roll this fucker out. (laughs) Welcome back, guys. Welcome back. Shelly Meyer, she's down on the farm. I'm going to go ahead and try to call her. Yeah, ma'am. See what the hell she's up to. Probably trying to make food or something, is what I'm guessing. I sense a large amount of food. Hola. Hola. (laughs) Welcome to the show. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. And thank you for joining me. You know, this meant a lot to me, dude. I, I really just felt like you'd be a treat for a lot of the people that are out there, especially younger cats that I've been like trying to connect with too, these people in their like early twenties and they're creators and you know, they're they're dealing with more of problems than we did, Shelly, it seems like in a lot of ways. How so? Well, because there's just seems like there's no it's just really like well here's I talk, I talked not to stammer, but I talked to my nephew on an episode called The House on the Hill the other day and he's like, you know what, kids know that this conspiratorial shit that people are talking about is real, but, you know, we will laugh about it, but in in the back of our minds, we all know that it, it's it's real. And I was like, I hadn't necessarily heard a younger person, especially because my, uh, you know, he likes comics, and I taught him how to collect comics and toys, and he knows all about Jack Kirby because, you know, his Uncle Ab spent all this fucking time with him, you know, and shit like that, so but yeah that's kind of where i was at what i want wanted to introduce you and let you talk for a while and let you be like hey you know this is where i come from or whatever the fuck you want to talk about dude i don't you know
1: you gotta ask me questions dude
0: all right <laughs> <laughs> where are you at right now
1: i am in northern california i drove here from vermont in a big yellowed graffitied van that i bought from new jersey dot and spray painted it and then uh Hopped in, took off, and uh-huh. came here, detoured, went down into Arizona, stayed in the Sonoran Desert, and then now I'm in Northern California.
0: Wow, that sounds wonderful. It's like pretty much growing season right now, right out there. Yes. I look Yes, 420
1: up. growing, as well as olives and almonds and all the best parts of life.
0: Yeah, these are all things out there, too, and shit. That's cool as fuck. Well, it's cool that you made it out here. At least you're on my side. On the-
1: Well, we were on the same side before, too, <laughs> at least geographically.
0: You're right. <laughs> I'm glad we're not there now.
1: <clears throat> uh, well, 40 years on the, on the in New York was enough for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I did 25 off and on. Mainly I was in Colorado, but I keep going back or had some connection or whatever, and then eventually, you know. That
1: was it. Well, I still have connection there. My friends are there. My kids are there. and um, But I can visit. They can visit.
0: What kind of art are you working on right now?
1: I am doing um, a lot of zines for my travel. I'm doing a, a graphic novel that is about three inches in drawing so far in a 8 by 11 binder. With hmm. um, that. Over my travels, starting in Saratoga Springs in July, uh, June, I left June eighteenth, and I landed here February nineteenth.
0: Oh, that's cool. Are you still doing like comics at all? At all, I am. Um, what are you doing?
1: Uh, a lot of little zines mostly at this point, based on my travels, and then bits on my grandfather. But that book is taking me forever because it's intimidating. I, he, he was a legend, so um it's a little bit hard. But I'm doing the drawings and the and stuff for that. It's just the more thinking I do, like Maurice Sendek was his intern and Bill Gaines was his intern, and like how do you do a man like that justice, you know?
0: Well, that's why I said on the bumper, your your legacy to this this comic book, you know, history and that uh, you are just you know, visual artist and everything. I mean, do you feel like that was kind of, do you feel like there was pressure at at all? Like none. it was all just your choice?
1: None. Uh, There was some pressure when I was a teenager. I told him to piss off and then I didn't want to do it. And he made a little bit of a face and I went off and did my own thing, but I came back to it. Um, It's in my blood. Uh. But no, there was never any pressure. As a matter of fact, my mom didn't like us reading comics growing up. I really didn't understand the legacy or or what I was born into until I was came back to live with him at 17. I was always drawing. I was drawing on the margins of my tests, and my notebooks, drawing on phone books and outside of notebooks and the sides of armchairs in the house, which went over really big, and my walls and constantly drawing on everything. So. Uh, It just got to the point where military school in Idaho wasn't really a good fit for me, um, obviously. And so my mom just sent me back to live with her dad in upstate New York. And uh, there was a lot of drawing exercises. I had to sit um, in the doorway between where the living room floor tile changed into the kitchen floor tile. So I'd have to sit on a bar stool and draw it and then sit on a regular chair and draw it and then sit on the floor and draw it and do that every day, Um, which pissed me off. I I certainly thought I had better things to do. So um, my grandmother, who always got milk from the bowling farm um, and would make butter in a mixer, said that I was so bored but didn't feel like drawing that I could make milk in a mason jar, butter in a mason jar. So I had to shake it until it became butter, and after that, I just opted to draw and Like, I was bored, but I didn't want to draw. (laughs) (laughs) I realized I would rather draw than make butter by hand. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 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 I wanted to draw, I just didn't want... I didn't understand. I thought the exercises in perspective were stupid. But they weren't. I see... All of that come through my art now, and it certainly made me a better artist. Um, Oh, yeah. And every night after dinner, we would do doodle drawings, scribble drawings, where he would make a scribble on a piece of paper, and I had to make a character out of it. And then I would do a scribble, and he would have to make a character out of it. And surprisingly, he was better than me. (laughs) <laughs> which which pissed me off because so, I was 18 and at 18 kind of everything pisses you off Right. so I took a pen and I made this incredible scribble on the page and I slid it across the table to him I'm like there, work with that and he draws a little arm up, little lines to indicate bubbles popping and a little hat sitting on top of the scribbles and pushes it back to me
0: oh <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> fucking great, dude. I can see it in my head, kind of the whole scenario. And
1: yeah, he was awesome.
0: Um, it, I can't even imagine what. What? what I, all right, let me let me ask you this. I always wanted to ask you. Do you remember what your first like favorite comic book was?
1: Richie Rich was the first one I was obsessed with. I. My mom is Scribbly from Sugar, or Sugar from Sugar and Spike. My grandfather was Scribbly. That was autobiographical. But my mom is Sugar. Scribbly, or uh, Spike, is my Uncle Lanny. And, you know, she grew up in the whole comic book industry, which must have been really hard because he was constantly drawing these funny comics about kids, but she really never got to see him because he was always working. So when we were growing up, my father was in the military, and we lived all over the Midwest. We weren't allowed to read comics. And I rem- remember going, taking my lunch money, um, or babysitting money, and buying comics and putting them in manila envelopes. I could fit three in a manila envelope and tape it on the other side of my drawer, and the drawer would still open, and you wouldn't notice that there was anything under there. Oh. Uh-huh. Kind of like a a nerd, nerdy girls version of Playboy, right? <laughs> I'm hiding where she in my drawer.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that was the first one I remember being really obsessed with.
0: And it was just the stylization, right, coming out. And Who was the guy who drew Richie Rich? Who was that?
1: I don't. Uh,
0: That's a good Stan, question. Huh?
1: I think it's the same guy that did the, I I don't actually know, which is bad. But um, – I honestly think that the appeal to that was because I lived with my grandfather when I was a little girl um, from like two to five. And I remember I must have seen him drawing the Sugar and Spikes because I was in his studio a lot and they were published in several languages at that time. So I would imagine that my theory has always been that Richie Rich was very similar to the Sugar and Spike character in appearance and there was a familiarity to him and I just gravitated.
0: Wow, Um, yeah, they do have a similarity, and I think it is specifically in the blonde hair.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Spike had orange hair, and Sugar had blonde hair. Right, that's um,
0: right. That's right.
1: But I think, yeah, there. I think the similarity was what I was drawn to. I've I've always drawn cartoons on kind of everything. I still do um, on my trips, and it's how I deal with things. And you know, if you piss me off, the Cartoon might not make you smile, but it certainly makes me. Laugh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's the point, <laughs> 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 I right.
1: work through all my angst and happiness and and joy and tragedy by cartooning.
0: Hence, uh, hence uh, the art therapy. You know, and that's for it. That's that's I why really I
1: call it that. It's 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 just breathing for my soul. Like I wouldn't skip swallowing or drinking water or breathing air. So. Why would I skip drawing? It's when I feel most alive.
0: I like that. That's cool. That's cool. So cool.
1: it's it's more life sustaining than therapy, right? If if you it sure it makes you feel better, but if you held your breath for two minutes, you're gonna feel better when you breathe air too. You wouldn't call it air therapy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> more than necessity, right?
1: Right. <coughs> I feel the same way about creating. Mm-hmm. Whatever that is.
0: No, I know that feeling too, and I can understand that that the, there is a difference, really, in a, in a lot of ways. You know, um, on one end, though, where people are either, A, coming into it new, or B, kind of like dealing with just specific mental illnesses. I notice most creators are are dealing with some thing with mental illness or a physical illness or both. And I know it's just it's so life is just hard on all of us on that end and
1: Well you and I have had this discussion and I don't I don't I don't know that we see it differently nor directly eye to eye either because I don't necessarily view mental illness as an illness. A lot of it is normal reactions to abnormal circumstances.
0: I wanna give you the floor to say to say what you want about it too, because you know I'm gonna shut the fuck up and I want you to talk say that. Uh, talk. <laughs> You know, it's important. It's yeah, important. The fuck up is
1: your specialty. For you
0: for yeah, you have. But you know what I I did you actually learn I did actually learn how to shut up, so I'm trained so hard. Well, let me know when you want to exhibit it. All right, I'm going to start right now. So what do you want to know? Geez, uh, well, you were saying like you don't want to label it as mental illness. I thought that was important, you know. And well, it's a normal reaction. Like they say P- PTSD
1: is post-traumatic stress disorder. But if, if you take a child and you, this, uh, I know the child is abused or hurt and they grow up having issues with parental authority, I don't think that's a disorder. I think it's a normal reaction to being treated badly. So then you... Work with those memories, and you understand that that's something that happened. It doesn't define you are as a person, and you move through it. But the fact that someone is having a hard time with a traumatic event that happens to them seems more normal reactions to abnormal circumstances. And the illness is more in the uh, stimulus that caused it than the reaction from it.
0: Hmm. Like, can you give it like an example? Like, I did. <laughs> 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 yes you did uh okay well all right all right that's fair but
1: if you, i will I'm gladly clarify just what what do you want clarification on
0: i guess like and what it, are your
1: thoughts do you not do you see that differently
0: not necessarily you know right. i think maybe at one point i did i think you know when you're when the things are like more raw And I think, you know, I'm just now finding these ways. This is why I agree with you more, because I feel like now I have found things to help me get through it, finally. But it it took, like, so long. I mean, I guess as long as you... I mean, I hate that you had suffered 15 years, anybody, trying to find, you know, the correct outlet or help or whatever. But then, at one point, you know, you... (laughs) have to develop one on your own to get through it, you know, somehow.
1: Is it it comfortable for you if I, if I comment on that?
0: Well, yeah, because that's kind of where I'm going, you know, with this whole thing is to get raw and, you know, every time I do one, I think as long as I'm cool with the person and, you know, where you.
1: (laughs) Well, being someone that knew you when you were going through that, I tend to think or feel as though it was not so much you finding what you needed because you already had it. It was you giving yourself permission to move through it and that was the angst that you had valid if you healed and um, did it matter still? And you are kind of coming to terms with all the things that happened. So giving yeah. yourself permission to heal sounds odd, but it's really, really real.
0: And I, you so don't think I was them? giving myself permission? I to, don't. Yeah. you
1: had all the same tools as you do now. You just weren't using them yet.
0: Yeah, I, re- I really couldn't even see them. Right. So it was just this. Well, really- you
1: had them. You just they weren't something that was comfortable for you yet. And I don't think that that's abnormal for anyone that goes through trauma. There's, there's, it's what you know. It takes time to move through it. It's. I think it's a very normal reaction to extreme circumstances, mm. but it doesn't look pretty.
0: No. <laughs> it's not. it's this is not comfortable stuff, man. You no. Know.
1: No, but
0: <laughs>
1: I mean anything worth having is worth working for.
0: I couldn't even talk like this then, huh, Shelly uh,
1: not without telling me to fuck myself with a spike.
0: No. Well, I guess that sounds about <laughs> that sounds about correct. <laughs> <laughs> Hardcore man. <laughs> don't
1: ask questions you don't
0: want me to answer. No, well, that. You know what? It is good that I asked it because that is pretty much, even though it's a little embellished. I mean, it it's pretty close to.
1: Yeah, I missed the part where you suggested that I kill myself. So it wasn't hmm. that embellished, really. But I mean, we all go through stuff. The thing, the thing about it is, is one. You have to be able to laugh about it because beating yourself up isn't the way to go through it. And two, if you're really, really, really hurting, it it seems impossible to realize that any action that you're having is affecting or hurting somebody else. Because if you're in that much pain, you simply don't feel valid. And if you don't feel valid, you don't get on most levels that extreme reactions from you are landing on people in a way that's hurtful because you feel invisible or tiny or small or not valid. Hmm. And I'm not speaking about you only. I mean, I went through that myself, too. I think most people do that go through severe trauma.
0: It is difficult, you know. I'm sorry oh, yeah. I said that shit to you, too. I, you know, I that's know. fucked up.
1: If mm. I didn't think you were sorry, I would have you, you know?
0: Well... <laughs> It's you know I'm glad you said it on the air. Fuck it, you know I did I did say that. You know, what? and it's, it's 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 to be hurting that bad to say some shit out. You know, and it does suck that there really aren't as many outlets as we really need when we are hurting that bad. Sometimes, honestly,
1: I, I think you were flailing. You were you were up to your nostrils in water, and you didn't realize you could swim and instead <laughs> of swimming yeah. you were thrashing and it got all over everybody around you until you were ready to not do that and yeah. I've seen, I did the same I mean when you're healing from trauma it's not pretty it's like a, if you have a severe laceration the healing process doesn't look like anything you want your skin to look like when it's done Yeah. same, <laughs>
0: with,
1: any, same with the rest of it it's just there's a, there's such a stigma attached to any illness that any reaction that comes within the human psyche. But if I come up and I kick you dead on in the shins with a pair of steel toe boots, you're going to get a hell of a bruise and I could crack your shin. You don't have a leg disorder. You have a reaction to being kicked in the shin by steel toe boots. So extreme events, somebody being in a building during 9-11 a soldier going off to war, an abused child, they were presented with things that just shouldn't have been in the palette of experiences. That does not make them mentally ill.
0: I think I so can time to heal. I, I have a tendency to, to agree with you more these days, and I know... Oh when we had met and you'd try to tell me something like that or whatever, but like you said, we it also
1: doesn't mean there's nothing to work on. You certainly, there's a reaction to shit that happened and you have to face it and go through it. But I don't think it's the same as saying, okay, now I have a diagnosis and I have to take medication and I'm broken. I don't think that's true. You had to suffer through things that just shouldn't happen. And of course that's going to leave a reaction.
0: I felt like, um, you know what I can't. I can't uh, I, what I can tell uh, right now is, I really appreciate and am thankful how both of us have just. You can tell that we've both gone through this personal growth and then had met back up and you know are able to. And we sound. We both sound different. You know, like you can tell that we just had to work on it, and and you know that's what I why I wanted to do this podcast. For people who are in those beginning stages, and they can hear people like us who've been through the shit, maybe they can relate. And then they, it doesn't feel so raw and alien. Or you know, you may be left to maybe the maybe you're on medication. It does work for you. Maybe this works. Maybe that works. Maybe you have support system, and that's cool. The mo- the more help out there that you guys have, the better, obviously. But not everybody's in that position, and you know that there comes this point where a lot of times if you resulted to that. And I felt for me on that end, when I was flailing like that, it was like I think I was going through Bright Point uh, mental health in Brooklyn, and I was trying to, and they just, it was the same old shit that I've been dealing with for fucking 12 years, and just I don't know why I see in some instances people that go through the system, and it seems to work, you know?
1: It doesn't work for me.
0: It doesn't work for me either.
1: So what I did... when everything hit the fan and my plate was cleared and I was scared and didn't know what I was going to do next. I just took the last bit of my money and bought this van and left Vermont with $56 in my pocket and a destination and a bunch of maps. And I had to deal with myself head on. And I picked up jobs and worked at fairs and worked for Tempe C and sold art at rest areas and um, just faced myself head on and a a lot of nights alone in my van when you can't hide anymore. You just
0: did it. That was um, an intense time.
1: What, before I left?
0: Uh, yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to say.
1: <laughs> when you and I were talking? Because the eight and a half months I spent on the road, I mean, I'm still living in my van. Mm-hmm. I'm just currently um, sheltering in place because the world is crazy right now. Right. So I'm in Northern California on a pot farm, so I'm certainly not suffering. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> <Maybe that. laughs> um, and I it's a little shameless self promotion. I post my drawings on Instagram under Peaceful Shades. Oh yeah. Um so if you wanna see how life looks through what do I say? I um, I was raised by a cartoon. So this is kind of what happens when you're raised by a cartoon. I love it. The <laughs> result of that, I posted on Instagram under Peaceful Saints.
0: That's so cool, dude. You were raised by a cartoon.
1: I was raised by a cartoon. My mom is Sugar from Sugar and Spike. And then I was raised by the cartoonist um, before and after the time I was with my mom.
0: You know my grandma's name is Sugar?
1: Um...
0: It's funny because it always
1: felt more like a. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna say that since it's referring to. <laughs> oh. It, it seemed like a porn star's name as an adult. Like that when I, whenever I do passwords, I always either use scribbly for my grandfather or Spike because sugar just feels a little bit. As an adult. No, my a name that I want to take on. <laughs>
0: In reality, my my grandma, my dad's mom was named Sugar Faye.
1: Was that a real name?
0: Yeah, and she was Seminole. Oh, wow. And uh, raised out there in in Alabama by uh, this old drunk Seminole dude. and There was like the whole, you know, not to launch into a huge story, but my grandfather had rescued Sugar when she was being abused at the age of like thirteen. He was a lot older, but it was like 1934, 35, 34, 35, and it was a different time. And you know, um he rescued her from the farm and when she did her dad was beating her, he's gonna kill her, you know. And basically he, he came in one dark, stormy night. You can see the comic book style setting on it (laughs) you know and just coming in and rescuing my grandma and be like stay the fuck away from us
1: Will Eisner could do very well with this story you can
0: see where yeah someone you can see it it fits in there somewhere in that comic book adaption but that must have been great to be able to have access to all these key comic book dudes like all the time Or, or were you just like some of them were cool, and then it was like, uh, you know, or... how did- well, We
1: were in the country by that point. I didn't have... I was there when I was five, and then my mom took me... My mom got married, and then we were in Copake, where my grandfather lived. He wasn't in New York City anymore. He was upstate on uh, the border of Massachusetts. Um, and my mom got remarried, and we he was in the Air Force, so... I went and lived on Air Force bases in Dayton, Ohio, and Denver, Colorado, Vegas, and Idaho.
0: Dayton, Um, huh?
1: Yeah, it wasn't... There's not a lot of Jewish artists kicking around Midwestern military bases. To say it was not a good fit for me is an understatement. Yeah. The education was fantastic, but... I mean, you have to know me for five minutes to know that conforming really isn't my strongest personality trait. (laughs) (laughs) dreadlocks and tattoos and only wear shoes if i'm gonna go into this place that has signs that says i have to (laughs)
0: Um,
1: (laughs) i i I drove through the midwest with graffiti all over the yeah so conforming isn't my thing Um, that's
0: why we're friends though you know, I, I don't yeah. really want to be friends with people that are But
1: I didn't really have performing. access to any of them. <laughs> the, o- the only one I really, I interacted with Paul Levitt. some. Um, he's not my favorite, to be honest, um, for various reasons. Uh, but he was the one I interacted most often with then because he was the editor at DC. Um, okay. President, I mean, he was... He became editor later when he moved down from president, but he was president of D.C., so he would be the one that called the house to talk to my grandfather, and he was the one I had the most um, contact with. But there were phone calls from, you know, Kirby and Kane and all those guys. They, they, uh, he had hired them originally, and they stayed in contact. Um, and the one that was the biggest fixture in our lives, certainly, was Bill Gaines, by far.
0: What was what was that like?
1: Uh, well, they were best friends. I had no idea. At seventeen, I didn't get it. I didn't get that they were famous. I didn't get that they were legends. I didn't get it. I kind of thought that everybody's grandfather had a little building across from the house <sighs> in the yard, and mm-hmm. he had these a fireplace, and he had clotheslines strung um, three times across the studio, and he would hang the bristle board into ink the inked bristle board in sequence across the studio um, i thought everybody's grandfather did that so <laughs> <laughs> we we went to Carnegie deli um that was 17 or 18 okay um bill and my grandfather and i uh and my husband my husband now hmm. uh we got celery soda and pastrami sandwiches from the now gone Carnegie deli
0: oh cool that's cool
1: but uh some people came up to the table and asked for their autographs, and they both started acting like doinks, going, hey, they think we're famous, look at that, and blew them off because they had no interest in in all the notoriety. At least my grandfather didn't. He just wanted to draw. So for the longest th- I really didn't realize until my grandfather died that he was a legend. I just thought he was some old weird guy that wore Stetsons and Dickies and drew pictures, Jeez. and I loved him.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Do you think it was kind of cool of him to be, like, not acknowledging himself as being a legend? Very. Yeah.
1: As a matter of fact, most of the people in the town that he lived in had no idea of what he had accomplished or what he had done. He was kooky. um, He was temperamental. He had unique ways of solving problems. I remember our neighbor's dog. (laughs) (sighs) Our neighbor's dog would bark constantly, and we lived way up in Copac. It was like 35, 45 minutes to the nearest grocery store minimum. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're in the middle of nowhere so he can have quiet, and these dogs were barking constantly. and The guy just was really rude and wouldn't do anything about it. So you remember those big tape recorders, and you push the button, and the door would pop up?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 old school, old asthma. He
1: he set his alarm clock, he went down there, he set that on the porch, and he recorded it for a whole bunch of time, and then came back and hit it in the bushes and pressed play at full volume outside his window.
0: (laughs) Nice.
1: Um. Obviously, he didn't get that tape recorder back, but the dog problem had been. So.
0: Oh, that's fucking great. That's a great cartoon move, dude.
1: Or the time that he they forced him to have a party line when he first moved up into the, into the country, and he'd have to call the editor for DC or whatever, for whatever business he was working on. He had deadlines, of course. And they had three other people on this party line and he tried to buy the other ones and they wouldn't let him. They said there was no policy for that to be able to be done. So <laughs> he picks up the phone <laughs> and he starts talking about these um, personal male physical ailments. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and what, <is> it <laughs> and what? what could <laughs> <laughs> And within... 18 hours the phone company had called Mr. Rayer to let him know that they had found a loophole and he was able to purchase all four lines and have his own private line. Mm. So he, he did find his own unique solutions to things. He wouldn't really argue. He wouldn't kick a dead horse, as he called it. He wouldn't stand there and try to convince you. He called that kicking a dead horse. He would just find his own solution to Oh. facilitate.
0: I'm not going to kick a dead horse. <laughs> That's what he would call it. Like if you go over and over and you're not accomplishing
1: anything with what you're doing, you're kicking a dead horse, he would say.
0: And in, in, in oh. Dayton, Ohio, they go, flogging a dead horse. That's what's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Well, he, he sounded like just quite a character.
1: Yeah, he was a character.
0: Oh, man. Sounds like... Uh,
1: he taught me my first limerick. Well, I don't think he taught it to me. I think I just repeated it. But since I repeated it in show and tell in the first grade, it didn't go over terribly big.
0: Well, um. let's hear it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, under the weeping willow tree, the village idiot sat, amusing himself by abusing himself and catching it all in his hat. And I had a very, I had a memory that could just remember stuff. I think it was more something that I heard him on the phone saying. um, But it was catchy, so I repeated it. (laughs) Um, And that was one of my first principal visits with my mom.
0: Wow. (laughs) 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 Um. (laughs) That's pretty – thank you for sharing this shit with us, too, you know. I appreciate. It. I know that. I know there's. A, I think the demographic of my show is that it's just it's, it's younger people. I don't know why, but it just is. They want to hear this more, and I think it's good for them to hear these stories about people like us. And even though we had two different lives, and it's nice just to hear, you know, get people on here and and have their share their story as artists, you know, and. Like I said, none of it's easy. There's always some shit that you know goes down in our life, and and but you know then what's encouraging? Well, he had us, a
1: nervous breakdown too.
0: I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that or no. I wasn't. I actually yeah, didn't know about it was, it.
1: Yeah, he uh, he was responsible for getting Superman published. Okay. Um, he. They they were they it failed and it failed and it failed and he brought Jerry and Joe over to the house. My great grandpa was a butcher. It was during the depression. So for anyone to have any kind of meat was, was just like a luxury, you know? Yeah. Um and he would always bring the scraps home and my as I understand it. <clears throat> and my grandmother my great grandmother would work wonders with it. So they had Jerry and Joe over, and they used my Uncle Monty, who is dinky, um, in Scribbly. Big like oh, okay. Brother. Why Big Brothers Leave Home. And he loved it. Absolutely went nuts for it. So he then brought it to Max Gaines and pushed it, and Max Gaines, uh, trusted, uh, my grandfather's take on things implicitly. He had proved himself by then, um, and took it to Donenfeld, and Donenfeld ran with it, and the rest is history, um. Uh, also being history is how badly Jerry and Joe got screwed and he felt extremely guilty about that. Oh for the for
0: Was there a connection? I mean, like he did he wasn't responsible though for them. That- he was
1: not responsible, but he did take it he did take it to the man he did take it to the venue that got it published that created the contract as it was Yeah.
0: So, So, who was the. He he
1: wasn't personally responsible for it. He had no say in what the contract was. He did feel ethically responsible for what happened to them.
0: Even though it was like, who was the person that made that executive decision on. Dunn
1: felt, I think. Okay. Um,
0: I wonder how he felt. Probably nothing. Was this like, I'm a business?
1: uh, I mean, that's how it seems. Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson was similar. That's how it. That's really how it seems. Um, mm. But that's all speculation. I
0: right, right. Well, yeah.
1: I do remember um, <laughs> when, when, when I was 17, 18, 19, Everything. He was on the ground floor. He was working in action or at uh, detective when Max had detective and Donenfeld had action and they were at spring and mad and different before they merged to what's now known as DC. Well, um, so he's considered a legend. And I did know, like I didn't get how much of it, how famous he actually was, but I did get that he was big enough in the company that they would send him comics. I just figured that was normal. And one of the comics that came in the box um, was one called Angel Love by Barbara Slate. Hmm. And it was fantastic. It was about teen angst and dating. And this was in a box full of superhero comics and war comics and horror comics. And here's this little, this teenage girl with bright orange hair and too many earrings in her head and spikes and everything in, in a someone i could totally relate to
0: does it um can i ask a question about that real yeah. quick does that particular dating comic does it predate do you, you know how there was like this run after ec got smashed in
1: 1985
0: that's what it was this one you're talking about is from
1: yeah okay so okay. um got it yeah so <laughs> he comes to me around the sixth issue because he knew i was obsessed with it like i would Paul through this book. Finally, he just asked them to put that one on top because I would just be tossing stuff around looking like, for this comic. And around the sixth comic, he told me that it was being canceled and it was only going to have nine issues. And I was livid. Like, what good are you? You're some fancy, <laughs> schmancy comic guy. What kind of
0: cheese and, is this?
1: <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and this is the one comic book that I like and it needs to keep being published. Yeah. And he says, he just kind of looks at me, and he called me Mike, because you don't name people after those who are still living, and I'm named Michelle to be called Shelly. I was named after him, and that's not something that's allowed, so he called me Missy, and I wasn't having that, so I spelled my name C-H-E-L-L-E, and he called me Mike. That was the agreement we came to. Huh. So uh, he says, he's like, Mike, it doesn't really work that way. They can't they can't publish an entire run of comics because like five teenage girls wanna read it. And I'm like, Well one of those teenage girls is your granddaughter. Are you important or aren't you? <laughs> 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 and he patted me on the head, of course. Oh. <laughs> just went um off to his studio and one of my big, big thrills in life and she's a friend of mine now. i am I'm, I'm a huge a fan of her work as well. I I like Barbara very much. But about maybe 20 years later, I was showing in Hudson, New York. My sculptures were on display at Time and Space Limited. And I saw a giant uh, drawing of angel love and lost my entire mind and turned around and I got to meet her. Um, And that was really, really cool.
0: Hmm.
1: And she also found that story terribly amusing. Uh, but yeah, comics, I think, I think all of, the, I don't know who I would be if art wasn't in my life. I think I'm an artist before I'm Shelley. So all those idiotic experiences and weird little turns of events all layer into the way the art falls out and makes it more interesting, I think.
0: I like that. Because you would just be an artist no matter what, no matter where you. Oh yeah, yeah. You can. I'm tell. an artist before yeah. I'm Shelley. Right, that's what this. That's what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people feel that way too. That are generally listen to, listening to this too, man. You know, so that's cool. You know, I, I'm glad that I was able to reconnect, and. Um, I think for me, on my end with the cartooning, it's is so sincere and you know I felt that I did a very similar style, you know, like where I was like wanting to draw cartoons. I think the first well, the first things I remember were also Richie rich uh uh hot stuff um. And then. Oh, Casper and
1: Hot stuff, yeah. Right,
0: you know, and then you had all the Harvey kids, and then you had like the Dell uh, had its kind of brand with Popeye and all these other, you know, after the Comics Code released, you know, bullshit.
1: Popeye was my grandfather's first job, one of my grandfather's first jobs.
0: What was. Did he ever tell you any Popeye stories?
1: No, he was young. He was. Uh eleven or twelve or something like dear. that. And he <laughs> drew the um, different age, different era. He had to quit school when he was ten. It's different times.
0: Wow. Um
1: the depression and he had to help raise my, my great grandma who was newly divorced, which just didn't happen then. And um my and his little brother. But he worked for Max Flesher drawing the floors for the Popeye Popeye cartoons.
0: That's so fucking cool dude did he meet Kirby there
1: um they he met Kirby walking on the sidewalk they both had their um attachés they were both work as, as if I remember correctly it was Kirby they were both working for maker major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson and either one of them were being paid
0: Wow.
1: Which the major is kind of known for that. He he ended up going bankrupt.
0: Hmm. <laughs> That's fucking comic book history, man. Stuff matters to me, too, you know. You should see the smile on my face. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, sitting here like... We wow! are also
1: living in Oregon where pot's legal, so you haven't had a smile on your face since you got up there,
0: probably. You know, plus brought to you by uh, more, the last of my uh, moose and lobster strain, and then I got that kind of mixed with some uh, Bruce Banner sativa. So that's pretty Dude, good. Dude,
1: the entire 30 days was 420, 430 days.
0: And believe me, I smoked all fucking 30. I really did. There wasn't <laughs> one day that went by that I was not... Fueled on some leafy green combustibles.
1: I would say that's true for me since I hit since I hit California. The going through Pennsylvania and Ohio and Indiana, I had nada um, because the laws there are just insane, and it just was not worth losing my rig and my entire. Cause this was a an opus trip for me, like something I've always wanted to do since I was a little girl. It was drive cross country. My father was in the service and my mom had a blue Dodge van and she took all the seats out and she put benches in and each of us had a section of benches where we had our stuff in it. And we would move to the next base in the blue Dodge van. And each time we pulled out, we'd say, we all live in a blue Dodge van. (laughs) (laughs) And we would move to the next base. And I remember at 12 or 13 deciding that I was going to drive cross country in a van without annoying siblings and stinky cats.
0: Hmm.
1: And at 51, I did. I turned 52 in Grand Rapids, Michigan.
0: When is your birthday? August 13th. August 8th, thir- eight thirteen, And then mine's 10-6. So, we're next to each other. <laughs> their birthdays. So that
1: you're born in the month of Halloween, this should not surprise
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I, it's not surprising me either, actually.
1: We have to speaking of scary shit.
0: Okay, what's that?
1: Exquisite Corpse, and if you don't know that, then you're just, after all the times we've talked about it. I know what
0: Exquisite Corpse is. I thought you were talking about a vocal game that we can play over the phone here on the... No. Ah, well, I know. I do know Exquisite Corpse, though, for the sure. The only,
1: well, I, we could do an improv thing where you have to have a conversation or make up a story using the letters of the alphabet to so the person. You go through the whole alphabet. Back and forth, making up a story with letters that start with each letter. Words that start with each letter. Ugh. It's an improv exercise.
0: Mm. And it does. It doesn't matter. I mean, they're not like you have to have twelve nouns, eighteen verbs. You know.
1: <laughs> it's called improv.
0: Right. All right. Well, can I <laughs> you hear? It has to do go you...
1: in the order of the alphabet.
0: Let's hear you. Can you? Can you do it?
1: Well, we would go back and forth.
0: I mean, I'm willing to try it.
1: So, like, I would start with A, then you do a word with B. The only thing is it has to make sense, so it would have to have a sentence structure, so it makes sense, but yeah. Okay, so after.
0: Oh, so and then I do B.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, but
1: ideally, you don't really think about it, because it's improv. You just, because it goes smoother if you just... Oh, okay,
0: okay, I got you. All right, so... Uh, beef, (laughs) crawled, down, every, fucking, (laughs) giraffe, (sighs) how,
1: 2010 already, (laughs)
0: I like how stoned it's, it's like, oh, what well, this is what...
1: How's ice cream?
0: How's What's, ice cream?
1: Yeah.
0: But then we have to repeat the whole sentence back, right? Is that what the deal? No. Oh, okay. We just have to get through it.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So, how ice cream what? Yeah, <laughs> ice cream. So there's a giraffe. There's a giraffe. <laughs> how ice cream joins...
1: Uh, Kangaroos.
0: (laughs) Oh, you can slip a silent A in there. A A, A kangaroos. Kangaroos. Uh, Kangaroos. All right. What's H I J K L? uh, Kangaroos. uh, Locker. MIDI
1: gates.
0: Never before.
1: Over. <laughs>
0: I don't even know what's after uh, P. Okay, cool. Uh, priceless.
1: Quarantined.
0: Mm, we knew it was going to come up. <laughs> conversation. That's where we're waiting. About the COVID. <laughs> it all comes down to the COVID. It really did. It, the virus stopped this game, too. Pretty much.
1: <laughs> well, it was just that <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I—I I got I can't even think of alphabets and shit. And you know, it's like I know it's the
1: thing that was insane is I've been lived on the road for eight and a half months. At the timing could have been very bad, but I spent my whole life wanting to do this. And then um, when I landed, I hung out with my friend for a while that used to live in New York and stuff. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're in quarantine, and I can't leave. Um, to go, certainly couldn't drive back to the East Coast if I chose to do that right now. Mm-mm. The rest areas and everything are shut down. So, it's been pretty surreal. I'm, I'm on a side of the country where most everybody I know is on the other side.
0: I got to team up with you, man. I'm losing my mind. I got to draw with you, dude. I just need to be around that energy, and all I want to do is draw, because... I feel like it probably is the end of the world. I won't. I don't have a reason or rhyme or reason of why. It just feels that way, and I want to go out drawing, just the way Lemmy went out in Motorhead, fucking playing on tour. You know, well, I'm,
1: little, I'm more than a little bit worried about the <laughs> effects of people sequestering because, well, I I do understand the um, the thing of not. I mean. It has a five percent fatality rate. other things are worse and is I, I'm not sure because I'm not a doctor. I know, but it certainly seems like compromising our immune systems to the degree that's going to happen by not being exposed to anything for months is going to cause even more problems.
0: right, and, and I already feel it.
1: immunities to what's in your environment and if you are sterilizing and pouring bleach and eliminating the rest of your environment. I mean, there's a reason why New Yorkers had ironclad immune systems for the most part, because we had to ride the subways, and now you're going to have people interacting without coming in contact with anything at all, and it certainly creates a little bit of concern for what it's going to do for the natural immune system.
0: One of many concerns coming out of this whole fucking mess, too, Dude, you know... Uh.
1: Like most people, I think I'm a little hesitant to really discuss it too far because yeah. it's 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 gone so extreme that if you have an opinion that doesn't agree with somebody else's, it's getting really hostile. Yeah, insulting.
0: No, I I haven't hit that yet with anybody because personally, I don't really have an opinion about it, so that's why I haven't really had any problem with it. You know, I I'm curious about how people are. Uh, feeling about it though you know since i really don't even know how, where to begin to think about this shit and, yeah me either I, you know that's why i can't get mad at anyone for, for but i can see how people you know barking at each other because you know they're just under in vicious kind of routine of 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 being uh in quarantine it's vicious right i mean it just ends up kind of this hurting motherfuckers (laughs) like you said you need to be outside and and be able to you know uh condition to your environment and and i felt like you know that i mean i don't have an opinion about what can i tell you dude you know is it it, i've had people on here too in the first season because now we're in the second season so welcome to the second season by the way but um, uh thank you um, in the first season, you know, I had a I had this one called uh, Corona, uh, what Super uh, Corona Sasquatch, Super Corona Sasquatch, Super Coronavirus Sasquatch. That's what it was called, and and you know, it was a count, it was a point counterpoint style, and you know, it was someone that doesn't believe in consp- in conspiracies versus someone that does, but we were never arguing about it, and we were able to just express. Sure. <coughs> What we felt um, personally, and it's okay that we all have these personal opi- opinions, and we forget about that—that that we're allowed to. And well, you, you know, know what they
1: say about opinions.
0: Well, everybody's a fucking dick, so. Well,
1: everyone's got one. <laughs> yeah, like, assholes. Everyone. <laughs> awesome. Right.
0: I, I changed it up a little, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you know it's basically you know, it it's it is this thing where like, if you're gonna override someone's. Uh, uh, ability to have the floor a little. I mean, you know, you you want to have the equal amount of flooring. That's what I've been trying to learn. <laughs> you know, it's like skip someone else the stage for a minute. You know, it's, it's not always about. I had to say it to me. It's not always about me, and it's not always about what the fuck I want. How does I'll just say it like that? What? Right, <laughs> really? <sighs> I know you never thought you'd hear today, right? So
1: if you say that, no. Well, (laughs) it
0: shows shows breakthrough in in art therapy, and it does work. But
1: find a talented artist in any medium that isn't fairly challenging to work with. This is true. On some level. I mean, there's an intensity and a focus and a hyper-honing in when you're working on your craft. And it makes us all appear a little bit kooky on the surface.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) Well, it takes its toll. I think genius takes its toll, especially creative genius. And there's like a difference too, you know, because, you know, I think it's just on one end you can be a technical genius. That's fine, whatever. But, you know, on this other end, going into this, I think how Kirby said it was there's a bright world there and it's, you know, it may not be the circus you can see or whatever, but I I go there all the time, and it's the best thing I've ever been to and the best circus and the most vivid, colorful thing I've ever been around. I guess we just hit the 55-minute mark. The little bomb thing went off. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> so I assume that we will be sitting down burning leaves and – Drawing on slices of white thin wood, which I think
0: I guess they call paper, very soon. <laughs> yeah, because I really <laughs> like talking to you too, and I'm looking forward just to being able to have some communication. I've been in some really isolated quarantine, guys. You guys don't even know. They're like, how can you pump out a fucking episode every day? It's like, man, this is the only thing keeping me fucking sane, and the weed. So. Dude, I am
1: on a hill in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada Mountains down from Lake Tahoe. Um, like go t- I walk to the post office, and it's two miles of uphill both directions, believe it or not, because hmm. everything here has an incline and a decline that looks like it's not really doable. <laughs> um, I think I know what you people mean. People that I've really seen for about 60 days are the two other guys that live on the farm, with the exception of going to the lake or for supplies, because... And and then you don't really see people because they're six feet away and a mask on. But, uh, and neither one of them are artists. So for the most part, I've just been either um, in my tent over in the manzanita trees or in my van, making art, drawing pictures and writing. And uh, it's not the worst thing. I think uh, it's gonna be really good to look, be able to look back at this and see how much of it we used as a tool all this free time that we were imposed with and what did what came out of it from our artistic community as a whole.
0: That's that's that was well said. I, I'm looking forward to just seeing you dude and let's uh let's make some art, huh? I want you to stay on the line and I'm gonna wrap it up here. And to everybody else, uh, Thanks for joining me and Shelly and listening. Lisa, Check me out on Peaceful Feeds because I'm awesome and I'm self-promoting. <laughs> Plug it now, man. Plug it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to see you soon. We're going to be smoking it up in the high hills and those weird, uh, illusioned, inclined hills you speak of. And until then, guys. I'll- I have a couple of cookies left. <laughs> well, save me fucking one.
1: Till
0: then, guys. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Underground Cartoon Therapy with Adam Air, M.D., G.E.D., and adios, amigos. (laughs) Ta-ta. Ta-ta. That was a pretty good time. That was a great episode. I couldn't have asked for a better episode, Shelly, so thank you for joining me tonight. That was pretty great. Oh. I'm going to end it off here. So, oh, little Brian Jonestown massacre. <laughs> really like these guys, too. Time is honey, huh? Look at all the stuff that happens in time, too, you know, and all these things that happen in history that help form us and who we are. And here we are. I just want to thank you guys for being with me, man. <laughs> I guess the best thing I can do is keep doing these podcasts. I am going to take a little break, though. I had done like about almost 30 episodes and then I finally hit this one tonight where I was like you know what dude I'm good with taking a break Mike Diana (laughs) he said give your brain a chance to breathe (laughs) he's not wrong we all need to take a breath man (laughs) uh I guess I'm just brain dead right about now. But thank you guys for joining with joining me on another episode in a spoonful of loving <laughs> with some underground cartoon therapy with your buddy over here, Adam Air, MD, GED. I love you guys and we'll be back.